0: What's up? Welcome to the Confluence DC podcast. This podcast is meant to give you a personal glimpse into the next era of investors and operators. This week we out on Allie Warson at Up Partners. Up is an early stage fund that partners with entrepreneurs building companies that support multi-dimensional mobility. Within a role, Ali focuses on sourcing and evaluating the next wave of companies, making it easier for people to get from point A to point B. In this talk, we discuss the changed landscape of mobility and growth areas within the space, unlocking economic value by better mobilizing emerging markets, the role of being contrarian in venture, how VCs can participate in the creative process, and prioritizing execution over ideas.
2: Yo, everybody, welcome to the Confluence.bc podcast. We have our homie, someone we really just fan out on, Allie in the building from Up. She has an incredible background working in places like Acme, Google, and a ton of other spots. She's been super supportive of the community and generally just a very bubbly personality that I want to get to travel with me and play at some point. I'll let her, her take it over from here. How about to get started, you give us in two minutes or less a quick overview of your dope background.
1: Sure. Thanks, Tyler. Yeah. Pleasure to be on this podcast with both of you. Enjoyed quite a bit getting to know, know both of you and seeing your beautiful faces on Zoom is awesome as well. Um, and I know this is audio, but everyone should look you guys up because they're you both are very, very amazing, talented human beings. So my background is I am a Bay Area native. I wanted to go to a college where I knew no one. So I went to Vanderbilt in the south. Then I went and lived in New York for a bit, did management consulting, and then worked for a series A startup, had the opportunity to work uh, at Google. So I moved from New York to Google and... I remember sitting on a bus three hours a day thinking there's got to be a better way and looking up at the sky and that will come back full circle in a little bit and was doing amazing things at Google. I was working on a and Ops team, helping with competitive intel with the engineers and then also leading national sales trainings with mid-market and the agency teams. I felt like I had a, a very early midlife crisis of wanting to make a bigger difference, So I sat on the couch of one of my mentors at the time, Scott Stanford, and he listened to me complain for two hours. And then at the end of it said, let's write a job description together. I want to hire you. And so I went and worked for Scott at what was Sherpa. And then we rebuilt the firm to become Acme Capital with Haney Nada from GGV. And then... Two years later, I had the opportunity to build a new firm with some absolute visionary people, Ben Marcus, Cyrus Segari, and Adam Grosser. So I moved down to SoCal, and I'm, that's where I am now, Partners.
2: Okay, you're going to have to give us an elevator pitch on because I, I looked into Ben, big fan of him, like from co-founding Jet Aviva. And I might be mm-hmm. but apparently you sold like billion a billion dollars of planes. founding AirMap, which is an incredible company. Like they got everybody in their cat table, like Microsoft, Qualcomm, Airbus, Rakuten. Yep. I don't even know how that came about. This fella is a is a savage. And I'm curious as to how you got into it with him and then just what you all are working on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Ben is a savage. That's a great description for him. So Ben and Cyrus actually founded or they were best friends when they were 11 years old, and they started as cadets at the San Monica Airport, and then they both went on to become aerospace engineers and founded JetAviva. They co-founded it, which is the largest private plane brokerage in the world. And then Ben also founded AirMap, which has raised over 100 million dollars in venture capital. He's currently still the chairman. And then Adam Grocer ran Silver Lake 750 million dollar growth equity fund at Silver Lake. So. The three of them are uh, total rock stars, and they sh- all share a vision of that there's this underutilized uh, third dimension, aka the sky. And it's crazy to think about, especially in LA, the amount of traffic that we all sit in on—not anymore, but used to on a constant basis—and thinking about how can we tap into into this sky opportunity. So they created something called Up Summit, which is a huge conference every year. And then from there, went on to create Up Partners. And so we're an early stage investment firm. And we'll, we're really looking for the founders that want to enable all things within mobility.
2: That is fine. That is super fine. So when we think about it, mobility, and uh, we've seen it as one of the sectors that's been really hard by COVID. Like for instance, my mother works at Boeing. And she's an executive assistant. Like they laid off half of the half of the staff, and she's also if anyone knows executive assistants, I'm putting that out there. I call my mom; she's crazy, amazing. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious, from your perspective, outside of some of the obvious repercussions of the lockdowns, how has the category changed during the last twelve months?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting because I think most people assume mobility on the whole has been hit really hard, and what's and I think if you look at the the classic airlines like Boeing that are suppliers for the United States of the World, Southwest, et cetera, they absolutely did get hit very hard and they're still trying to recover. When you look at mobility as on a whole and you really think about micromobility, when you think about electrification, when you think about even space, for example, like a lot of stuff is happening that's like extremely exciting. Like EV sales actually improved over the previous years by rising by 43%. Which if you if anyone invested in Tesla before 2020, you like probably made a lot of money. And then if you Archer Aviations, another really interesting one. They're an EV tool company. Actually, just got a billion dollars in commitments from United. And then if you start to think about like micromobility, for example, Milan in Paris have actually committed hundreds of kilometers to just bikes. So all these cities are really transitioning to enable different forms of, of movement and transportation. So no longer it's just um, getting on a bus, but maybe it's owning an e-bike or maybe it's renting an, e- an electric vehicle. And then if you look at SpaceX, for example, they launched people up into space this year um, or <laughs> 2020. So I think that it's a misnomer to think that mobility gotten really hit. I actually think it's one of the few verticals that is rapidly innovating at a pace unforeseen to, to most people. And I feel very lucky to be at Up Partners because I think it's all of the sudden a lot of people are starting to pay attention to this and we are like deep in the trenches but with all things focused on transportation.
2: That is beautiful. We, uh, we actually just had on Asher from Starbucks.Aero for last week. We released that one today. I think cool. we've a lot. And, awesome. uh, I know you're brilliant. I know he would appreciate you. And uh, we got to make that happen. You not already. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, would love that. Speaking on that, um, a, a theme that you just hit on was just like how a lot of these things are heating up and mm-hmm. evolving into you know, what the average investor considers to be in, in reach nowadays, whether yep. that's is, is because of the companies you name or companies like Joby Aviation. I'm curious as to what you think will be the bigger opportunities where other people should start looking, where you're looking at it, or you're looking at it as old news for uh, yeah. the next five to 10 years. What's hot? What should we be? And so one
1: thing that we think about, and I think this can be, I think the entire venture community can align with this is that we don't necessarily want to do the next big airplane. Like we don't want to do a huge hardware play. Joby is absolutely an amazing company, but we think what's more interesting is like, how is Joby getting their data or how are they even building their AI models to think about autonomy or how are they, what batteries are they using and how can we think about the opportunities to optimize that battery solution? So we really think about everything around the bullseye, not the center of the bullseye. So one of the things that I'm most recently interested in is even thinking about data ingestion. And if you think about data 10 years ago, it was all numbers coming from computers and code. And now we have an entirely new ecosystem of autonomy and it's all visual data. So it's making sure the car can actually see the person coming into the line of sight. So when all of these new companies are testing for that, What are they using as a solution to sort that data, to clean the data, to learn from the data? So all of that, I think, is a big opportunity. The other thing we really think about are what is building that next Joby airplane, for example? So additive manufacturing is really interesting. How do you get into the literal nuts and bolts in building that through 3D printing? And then there's so much. It's It's so exciting. But even like predictive maintenance, like... How do you make sure your fleets are ready to go, whether it's an airplane or a truck and guessing when that, when that truck needs to be fixed. So that way for convoy that they can keep sending out hundreds of um, different pickups across the country with different trucking companies. Actually, I don't know if, do you guys follow Kathy Wood from Ark Invest?
2: Clay, Clay is yeah.
1: on. <laughs> okay. So if people don't know on your podcast who Kathy Wood is, they should absolutely look her up and stock everything that she does. She went from 300 million under management to 29 billion from 2016 to 2020 and she is I think Ark Invest is the top 5 performing ETFs right now. But she declared that drone delivery platforms alone could generate 275 billion in delivery revenue, 49 billion in hardware sales and 12 billion in mapping revenue. So that's all in the transportation sector. So there's a lot to capitalize on. I think you're gonna see more and more unicorns popping up in the space over the next 10 years.
2: Great, great, Wait, Clay, you got something to talk about there? Looks like uh, that, this is something that Clay's stoked on.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've followed Kathy Wood for a little bit. I think maybe as far back as 20, 2017, 2018, might've been when I first started at least following that ETF and just putting some money to work in there. I unfortunately liquidated probably too early. I know it's just know. gone straight up over the past <laughs> six months or six and 12 months and i just, she's obviously got a, a ton of recent press around it. So it's probably good advice. I guess just going along with the, the macro theme here. So another mm-hmm. thing we wanted to touch on is mobility in emerging countries. So, mm-hmm. when we were prepping for this and doing a little bit more research about the category, we learned that over a billion people lack access to transport services globally as a mobility focused investor, how do you think about the opportunity that exists within these currently underserved markets, and more specifically, how do you think about the unlocked economic value that's created once these areas are able to better mobilize?
1: Yeah, I think it's a great question, and I think so i I relate what mobility is now to what digital health was 10 years ago, five to 10 years ago, and how you see digital health becoming ubiquitously relevant within across the world and how people overall are living longer. Have it. Even with the pandemic, I'm, I'm an optimist at heart and you can see our world is actually healthier on the whole. And I think with mobility, we're going to see in five to 10 years, more and more people getting access to to very micro mobility solutions you can already start one of the things that we also think about is tracking trends asia for example is significantly more advanced in a lot of the mobility stuff than than america or europe but europe also is more more advanced in everyone taking e-bikes to work and then you start to see and then you start to unlock what are the opportunities within africa and south america and there's already a ton of companies doing a lot of good do you guys uh follow zipline at all in Africa?
2: Yeah, a friend yeah. of mine, ironically, I can't say who it is. They actually offered me a chance to uh, follow on to that round either as a oh. as, as part of GV. They're just way too late for us.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Adam Grosser is he's a big time investor in ZipLine. One of our prior to joining up, and so I have a lot of insights into how they're doing. And they are just changing the game. And I think they're a perfect example of what positive stuff you can do with mobility. So they're moving blood around Rwanda via drones there's other there's another company named lori systems and josh is just one of the most amazing ceos and and they're doing trucking in africa and there's just there's so much opportunity i think and there's actually lower regulatory hurdles so from an investor point of view from a a founder point of view i think emerging markets are really interesting even india You'll see all of the, the little scooters that people ride every day making, the, making those clean and using battery solutions that is super interesting too so we're definitely looking macro and seeing how macro economy trends influence mobility in a more nuanced way.
2: Oh that's fire. I, mean, I think uh, I think we haven't had many people come on and talk about. Uh, Any macro environments or things that are evolving uh, Mm -hmm. outside of the U.S. And it's always so intriguing to to get that viewpoint. One thing, just to switch gears a bit, we hear a lot of people obsess over the idea of being right and not consensus, which is what you all have done, given where you decided to focus your capital and even Mm -hmm. backgrounds in general. Um, Could you give us your thoughts on the role of being a contrarian adventurer?
1: Yeah, and i love to hear your guys' point of view on this too, but I don't think you can be a good venture capitalist unless you are a contrarian. I think if you are investing in something that every single person says yes and you believe is yes, I think you've missed the boat. I think you have to be willing to have a different point of view and 90% of the time we're wrong anyways, so you might as well try to do something really out of the box and and try, try to be visionary and think in a way that other people aren't thinking. I don't know if either of you have a point of view on this question as well, because I think it's interesting to think about, and you both have been in this space for a while at this point too, seeing your teams debate opportunities and then how you personally think about challenging the normal point of view, if you will.
0: Yeah,
2: Clay, you want to run this? I can run it after you or I can run it.
0: Uh, I mean, I think it's an interesting topic. I think there's a ton of venture investors that, kind of all sound the same when they're pitching the funds. Everybody loves B2B software subscription-based businesses. That's a no-brainer. I think when that comes into play as an issue, that everybody's competing for the same deals. There's only so many good deals go around. And there's now more and more capital at the table that a lot of these funds are just competing for adverse selection. So I think that's one factor to consider. But then I just think there's a lot of investors that are obsessed with having an outlandish opinion and (laughs) that's the way to be contrarian so like there's the matrix it's like you can be right and non-consensus or you can also be wrong and non-consensus and i think there's a lot of people that are just throwing out ridiculous opinions with not a whole lot to back it up and just hoping that it it works out in five to ten years and that's somewhat dangerous because there aren't ways to evaluate whether you're going to be right so i don't know i think I think there's just a lot of noise out there. It's tough to, it's tough to know if you're, you're right or wrong on bets. I don't know, I'm all over the place with my answer. But Tyler, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I, I think about this a lot. And at 0.72, we took a hedge fund approach to constructing our portfolio. And I think that if you're going to do these kind of things, then you need to understand how they play into your actual portfolio construction. Because all of this mm-hmm. today is just like statistics, portfolio theory, and like what you're maximizing for. And those things have to play out, whether it be over one fund or several funds, based on what the odds of, of that strategy are. So if you're going to maximize your portfolio for like huge, like rocket ship companies that are like out of the blue that no one else is looking for, then you better write enough checks so that one of those or two of those can hit and be those outliers. If you're not, you're better off doing a whole bunch of two to seven x's that you think are very likely to hit because at the end of the day everyone needs to hit their hurdles and beat them benchmarks like i hate to be like the like boring person here <laughs> like,
1: no it like, makes sense portfolio construction is real you yeah. don't
2: understand exactly choose your poison and i think that the optimal uh portfolio strategy is like if you could to only write checks into these crazy things but like the realistic one from my perspective and i've worked in now seven funds and that doesn't mean that i know anything more than anyone else mm-hmm. but like My thought is like, if you have flow and you have some type of lift where you can have access to good deals, then I'll probably maximize 70 something, 80 something percent of uh, of my portfolio on a pretty surefire bets that I think in return me anywhere from like conservatively 5X to hopefully 20X. Uh, And then I will reserve the rest into very small checks and the moonshot ideas and follow on from there, raise SPVs when needed. I think that's probably how a good contrarian VC will, will, will work while also ensuring, assuming they don't already have crazy success, ensuring their LPs and the rest of the mm-hmm. community that they can be taken seriously as investors.
1: Yeah, I think that's great.
2: So you gotta give us yours now.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I think about the portfolio construction piece and I think You also have to think about when you're going to get returns as well. So if you think that something's going to be huge in 30 years, that's not a good opportunity for an early stage investor. So being really thoughtful about what's returnable is really important too.
2: Oh my God. Yo, that's a theme that we've hit on in a few of these podcasts. And I think timing Mm. the why now is huge. And I don't know how you all set up your LP structure, like what the timeline on the return uh, profile is, returning the capital profile is so like, if you're doing something that's not gonna work for 30 years or 10, 12, 15 years, <laughs> like that's gonna screw up your IRR. <laughs> so like, if you are gonna be a contrarian, be right, uh, realistic about when it's gonna hit. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that being said, in terms of advice, Clay had a really great idea about uh, closing out some of our core questions with tactical advice that can help Mm -hmm. people within our community be more effective in their roles. What, from your perspective, is an investor's role in the creative process with founders they work with?
1: Yeah, I think this is a great question. So I think that as an investor, your role is not really to mess with a founder's creative process. I think of founders as artists. And if you try to take the paintbrush out of their hand, I don't think you're going to get what you think you want to get. So I would say that as an investor, you should think about enabling the creativity within the bounds of a business lens. So how do you massage or mold or help them see their creative process to really benefit a, a business outcome that's beneficial from both sides? So I think that there's something within the creative process where it's actually if you give boundaries, an artist is more creative. So if you said, okay, you need to make something blue and it has to have walls, you're actually going to get something much more beautiful than if you were like, build me something. And I think that's true within investing too. And if you even think about board seats and being a board member, I think the best board members are the ones that are guiding, but not doing. And so that's, I think being a guide rather than trying to do it yourself or Take the paintbrush out of their hand is probably the piece of advice
2: I would give. Okay, last question, and then Clay's gonna take over for the quick fire. A misconception that many people have, and we hear this all the time, is that the best ideas win. And and while it's true that ideas are are important because they're the the precipice of of, of greatness in many ways, ideas are nothing without execution. Given your background and how much you've accomplished, what are some of the tricks that you've learned? Use positioning yourself as somebody that consists in the excuse.
1: So I make to-do lists and I have the little bubbles in Evernote where you get to check them off, which is extremely rewarding. And I have a lot of to-do lists, but I am constantly checking off those bubbles every single day. I think a lot of people, they're what they want to accomplish or what or or their goals that sits inside their head, and you don't get anything done by just constantly reminding yourself. So getting stuff down on paper and seeing what you want to accomplish, even annual goals. I have 10 annual goals personally that I write down and it's a contract to myself. And I'll look back at the end of the year and see if I got it done. And in a very weird way, they all happen in a nuance. So if it's, there's some detail that switches, but it's still getting accomplished. So I would say, get your thoughts out on paper to be able to commit to yourself what you want to accomplish and you'll probably increase how you execute.
2: Um, I might I might take up the, the to-do list. I actually don't I have <laughs> I try to use Reclaim to like lock to do's into my calendar but I'm terrible at it. Clay, you want to take over and uh, go through the, the quick fire?
0: Yeah, for sure Allie. I feel like that's such a good psychological hack. I've started to do more list making myself and just crossing stuff off is like such a little thing that makes a big difference i can't explain the science of it but it's at least helped me i've started doing the past couple months and i feel like you're actually able to track progress a lot better so i think that makes a ton of sense but yeah we can just finish up with these quick questions we do these at the end of these we ideally want them to be answered so we have five questions ideally meant to be answered in two sentences or less we're about At a ten percent success rate of getting guests to answer in in two sentences or less. I I
1: think you you guys gave me a heads up on these, so I've tried to be okay. All right. So
0: first one: What is a recommendation you hear regularly that you think is bad advice?
1: Wait your turn. I would recommend create your turn.
0: Ooh, like that. Ooh. I've never heard that before. I like that a lot.
1: i So you guys can call me out if I don't yeah. care for all
0: of them. No, no, no. In the last year, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life?
1: Be early. For anyone that hasn't read it, read Thank You for Being Late. Who's that by? I don't have the author off the top of my head. Let me. I think it's by Thomas Friedman.
0: Okay. I feel, yeah, I feel like I've heard the name before. I'll check that out really good all right next one we're flying through these aside from having to say no all the time what's the worst part about venture
1: i think this is a cop-out but having to say no when you want to say yes because you are too late
0: that makes sense you mean in terms of like too much of the round has already been allocated or yeah kind of like
1: it's a series c and you're an earlier stage investor but yeah. it's an amazing
0: company. Totally. All right, next one. Got two more. So a lot of this audience kind of skews to more of the junior VC side. It's more analyst associates or people trying to break in. What's your best piece of advice for that crowd of people?
1: I would say that getting into VC is not for the linear-minded, linear path-minded linear path folk. You shouldn't do what you're asked to do. You should do what people don't expect you, you will do. And then you probably will get into venture.
0: Totally. Totally. Okay, last one we do here. Who is a mentor or more than one that you'd want to give credit to for where you are today?
1: The first mentors would be my parents because they're total rock stars. And then the second group of people, I would say this is going to be more than two sentences, but I've been extremely thoughtful about who I work for throughout my life. So... Every major mentor for me has been my managers or bosses. So Felix at Google, Donna at Cubit, Scott Stanford at Acme, and then Ben, Cyrus, and Adam, who I work for now. They are needle movers for me and guides. So I'm extremely grateful for all of those people.
0: That's awesome.
2: With that, is there anyone that you would like to see on the Confluence podcast a part of our community?
1: Ooh, I love that question. I would say this is like calling someone out if they haven't been Amanda Groves from Plus Capital. I don't know if she's been on your podcast.
2: Brian oh, and the whole team.
1: Yeah, she does a lot of consumer, so it'd be an interesting angle, I think.
2: Yeah. Well, if, you, if you ever wanna, if you wanna get her on here, just make the intro, and we'll press her into doing. It. Awesome. Yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> I think that kind of wraps things up on our end unless you have any other questions for us, but I feel like you kind of got us midway through. Um, Cool.
1: Yeah. I, I guess one of my questions is what are you guys most excited? We're at the beginning of 2021. What are you both most excited about from an investing point of view, from a life point of view? It sounds like Tyler, you're becoming a global citizen really quickly, (laughs) but, but, but what are you, what, is getting waking you guys up every morning and exciting you?
0: Like, one thing that I'm monitoring a lot, just because it has a lot of personal relevance to what we build with Confluence, the idea of community-led growth. I know Corinne mm. uh, over at Greylock just wrote a really good piece on this, how it goes deep into the strategies that some of these direct-to-consumer companies have used in the past to engage their customer base more and not just have them where. It's more of an audience where there's just one single point of communication pushing down trying to facilitate more ways for act as a community and then to interact with each other based on common interests seems like in the past a lot of that has just been more on the direct consumer side but now more b2b businesses are offering similar services and they're starting to be more Hmm. and more of a playbook to follow there they're at least use some of the learnings of other companies that have gone before you so i think that idea is really interesting i think Community as a moat is one of the stronger moats that exist. So it seems like community is a buzzword now. I feel like a lot of people use it in the wrong context, but I'm really interested in the category just because we've seen firsthand how hard it is to actually build up and then maintain relevance in a community. So I think that's really interesting. I don't want to steal all of Tyler's thunder, so I'll let him get some. <laughs>
2: I, I second or echo everything that Clay just said. Honestly, I think Confluence is the most exciting me the most. I know that's like super corny to say, but we just launched commonapp.vc, which it enables pretty much anyone in our community to have their founders fill out one form and then it routes it to every relevant investor in our community and lets those investors request to meet those founders. And, and and that sheet is pretty comprehensive. And it effectively answers the first three or four meetings in, in like a, a note. And, and we found that in our jobs, we might know like 50 to 20 people who can invest in any of our companies, but for every category, we have 150 to 450 uh, people. And you just make sure you don't leave any crumbs on the table. You make sure your round is as competitive as it can be. You make sure that like you're not limited to what type of value can be added. And- mm-hmm. Feedback we've gotten from that is really great so we just launched that on monday and we'll see how that plays out we've already got companies submitting and we're just excited so if you all have any please push so i guess let's wrap it up there thank you so much thank you everyone for listening yes. and uh, sending love by the way you're <laughs> the first person to shout out to your parents as a mentor beautiful
1: really yeah wow yeah that, that way i make them listen to it because i'll be like your name is going to be mentioned yeah all right. Cool, guys. Nice chatting with you as always. I'll talk to you next week.
0: Huge thanks again to Allie for coming on. I hope that each of you are able to pick up something valuable from this talk. If you're looking to get in touch with Allie, we've linked her social profiles in the description below, and you can also find your contact info within the Confluence VC directory. For next steps, if you're an investor and have not already signed up to join, we encourage you to check out our website at www.confluence.vc to submit your info to become a member. If you have any feedback for us, please feel free to reach out directly either to Tyler at Tyler at GPV.com or myself at Clay at Hope to hear from you all soon.